Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. My guest in this episode is a proud Baladong Noongar man hailing from the Wheatbelt area. He was one of 11 kids and the son of a country footy star. He was a gun himself on the sporting field all year round, footy in winter, cricket in the summer. He went on to win a premiership with East Perth and on the cricket field scored more than 10 thousand runs in A-grade cricket. That puts him in second place in the list of most prolific run scorers in WA-grade cricket history. He won six A-grade titles, five one-day titles, uh, and many, many more achievements. Despite his prowess with the bat, though, he was never, ever selected to represent WA, and he will offer a pretty compelling explanation as to why. Sadly, racism is something he has had to endure all his life and he continues to call it out to this day and to fight for inclusion and equality. My guest is John Maguire. Hello, John. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Tim. And look, thanks very much for having me. uh, It's a a pleasure. Come along today and it's a a pleasure for me to be here to have a yarn with you. We we really want to tap into the the many stories that you've got. Sure. Um, Not all of them great, happy stories to share, unfortunately but it's important stories nonetheless. But let's go right yeah. back to your childhood days. I mentioned sure. you're, you're one of 11. That's a busy household. Uh, yeah, look, absolutely. But, you know, there was never a dull moment, as you, oh, as, as you would expect. Um, but having said that, there were never 11 yep. in the house all at, at, at the same time because yep. the older ones were moving out and getting married. I've got two older sisters and then, so you were you were number three. I was number, in terms I was of, number three in the yep. in the lineup, and um, and then then I went to school at to Guildford Grammar School, and uh, the younger kids uh, were at home, and so you know the the children were coming and going. Yeah, uh, and the only time there were, were eleven or more with partners and girlfriends and boyfriends was when we all got together for mm. a, you know, a special function or yeah. Christmas or whatever it was. For a, a special Maguire get-together. Absolutely. And, <laughs> you know, there wasn't room for anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Um, the, the, the wheat belt generally was was where you grew up. I know you spent some time in places like Calabar and your mum was from Northern. But, mm. you, I mean, where is where is home to you? Look, home is, uh, is Northern. Yeah. Yeah, because that's where we spent most of our time. Yeah. Um, and, and our second, for me, the second home, if you like, and, and uh, an influ- influential sort of uh, township and, uh, and, and uh, children and kids that I went to school with was uh, Calabaran. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Calabaran was just a wonderful place to, to, to spend some time and to grow up in yeah. from 64 to uh, 69. Yeah. A, a pretty small little place, I must say. I've been past it. I yeah. haven't stopped there. I'm sort of vaguely aware of... Don't blink. <laughs> where it, yeah. Well, th- I mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not a big place, is it? Look, it, it isn't now, but back in the halcyon days of, uh, of agriculture and, uh, you know, um, uh, farming, it was uh, a, a, quite a big hub mm. in terms of uh, population, uh, in terms of sporting prowess, cricket, football, yep. and particularly in the Avon Association. And uh, the, the place was buzzing uh, yep. in terms of uh, that population mm. alone. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I developed probably my best friendships in school uh, with all of those, those kids that I went through yep. from 64 to, to the end of yep. uh, 69 or Yes, sixty six end of sixty eight. Sorry. Yeah. And and those those kids who are now sixty seven years old um, are, are still my best friends, mm. and we we have regular reunions and catch ups. Yeah. That's the impact that we had on each other. Yeah. Formative years. Yeah, very much so. Um, Mum from Northern. Where mm-hmm. was Dad from? Dad was born in Brookton, or, or a little place in between Brookton and Beverley, called Cokeby. And uh, that it was a siding for the the rail as it passed through, and um, he spent all of his again formative years in the Brookton yeah. area. Um, you know, the, the history books will tell us it was a it was a time of great separation in our mm. community mm. Um, for Aboriginal people. Your Very mum, so. for instance. Yep. Um, although it being in the twentieth century, she she couldn't go to school. Yeah, look, uh, Aboriginal kids were excluded from uh, the opportunity of education, which is, when you look at it, um, when you deny education and learning, um, you you keep people ignorant. Mm. Uh, and I use the word ignorant in, uh, in, in the nicest way in this situation um, because power is knowledge. Yeah. And you reduce that and you uh, you don't, give the population that option, then you can control them. Yeah. Um, I've read some some comments from you uh, in the past where you spoke about uh, memories of, of, of being abused and taunted on a footy field from about the age of 10. Mm. Is that sort of where your memory starts of that kind of treatment? Or does it go back even earlier than that? No, look, that was probably the uh, the first instance of it being a very real sort of uh, taunt. Yeah. Um, and it, it was on a footy field? It was on the football field. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what happened? Well, we were playing this town. Um, uh, it was an inter-school um, sporting uh, event. And um, we, were, we, we were playing and uh, we were playing on their home ground. And um, I was having a reasonable game and this kid just, well, he was uh, into me from the very start. Mm. And, you know, the, the N-word, um, black, uh, yep. he wasn't swearing, um, but there was, the you know, the, the, Everything else. the vilification was uh, profound. Yep. How did that affect you as a 10-year-old? As a I, I didn't know how to deal with it. I mean, I'd heard 
the, the the same words in the in the playground and on yep. the odd occasion, and you know my uh, Aboriginal uh, and most of them were we were related in in some way. Most of the kids that um, uh, that copped it retaliated, and so it didn't last long because. Uh, the kid d- delivering the vilification often had a blood, <laughs> blood, blood nose, or uh, uh, he was uh, he was on his way. Fair enough. And, and, but I I, I I couldn't fight anyway, um, and I wasn't about to uh, to start that. And I didn't know how to deal with it on on the footy field. Um, and at half time, this kid stuck his face in front of me. He said, "It's half time now, nigger." I'll, I'll use the word. Yeah. Um, you can go back to the reserve. And that's where all the Noongars lived, on reserves in, in these country towns. Um, and he just took my space. So I got him out of, out of my way in a, in a gentle way. It wasn't aggressive. And uh, went to uh, our teacher, who was our coach, and, uh, uh, and our teacher spoke to us and he either didn't notice or I'm sure he didn't notice. It was just a very subtle sort mm. of um, um, moment. Anyway, but my dad was at the game and he saw it. Mm. We are about to start the second half and uh, my dad grabbed me and said, hey, what was that all about? Why did you push that kid? And before I could answer, he said, if I see that behaviour on the footy field again, you won't play. Yep. And I thought that was pretty tough. Yeah. But he said, we'll have a yarn on the way home. And uh, so played out the game. Uh, it continued. And in the car on the way home, my dad said to me, how do you think you played? And I said, yeah, look, I thought I had a really good game. And he said, mate, it was a fantastic game. Yeah. You played really well, best on ground. Mm. Um, and, and you got even better in the second half. It was probably the the best response, wasn't it? You <laughs> towed the guy up in the second yeah, half. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. Um, and uh, he said... Take those comments as a compliment. So immediately he turned a negative mm. situation for an Aboriginal person into a positive. Mm. And I went, how can that be a, a, a compliment? And he said, that kid couldn't match you with your skill, couldn't match you in the air, couldn't match you on the ground, you're too quick. And so he had to be, because he couldn't do those things, he resorted to, uh, to to words that hopefully got inside your head and put you off your game. And he said, that's the compliment. He said, if you're good enough to play sport at a higher level, he said, when you're playing well, that's when you're going to cop it. Yep. And when you're playing badly, um, you probably won't hear too much. <laughs> so was it the case then that uh, the better you were, um, you know, and I've already sort of given some outline of of how good you were, Barry. Uh, uh, John, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Not Barry more. Yeah, um, I'll answer uh, to yeah. John today. Um, it, it's an indication, I suppose, of how good you were, John, that, uh, you know, the, on the on the footy field, on the cricket field, mm. the better you were, the bigger the target you were. Oh, look, and, and that was the – that was a driving force in terms of performance and uh, and, and just – stitching up the opposition mm. because my dad gave me some wonderful words yep. because he, he'd copped it yep. all his well, life. Well, I was going to ask, a, you know, he yeah. was a, a, a star of country footy mm. as well, your your dad. I can only imagine yeah. the sorts yeah. of things that he had to endure. Oh, look, absolutely. 
And he and his brother, Claude, Uncle Claude, uh, were superstars in the Avon Association. And at that point, there were two Avon Associations. There was the uh, Cunderdon East Avon, for the towns east of uh, east of the Avon, um, and there was the Avon Valley, mm. uh, the towns that ran along the uh, the Avon, and uh, but then they uh, then they they'd, they'd combine and there were big uh, country carnivals, and of course they're now uh, the uh, the West Farmers uh, games that are played here in the in the city, but Dad was a superstar in that competition and he copped it, yeah, whereas Uncle Claude uh, wouldn't cop it. If he uh, if he was called uh, black or uh, uh, you know was vilified, he'd say, "I'll show you what a black man could do," and go bang. <laughs> <laughs> Different ways of dealing with uh, oh, issues in front of you, I suppose. Absolutely, but uh, you know, Dad used it to as inspiration yeah. to do better, yeah, and to stitch up the opposition. And and mm. he that his message to me was simply that. And I so as I went through my sporting life. Um, and, and, and it was a, an era and a time when, you know, this vilification was part of the, the game. Mm. Um, you had to deal with it some, uh, you know, somehow. And I, I dealt with it knowing that, um, I had confidence and self-esteem and I had the ability, uh, that was better than the opposition. And I, I let them know verbally. I mean, verbally I could give as good as I got. Mm. So, uh, that, uh, the message from my father really set the mm. uh, the pattern for how I dealt with it on yeah. the footy field. And ultimately, uh, John, it sounds like you let the, the boot and the bat do the talking for you anyway. Well, I was um, lucky enough to do that. And, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and you know. then some. Oh, yeah. 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 We need to take a break. We'll get sure. into uh, your uh, schooling years that took you to Guildford Grammar and then um, onto the, the footy fields around Perth and the cricket fields around Perth uh, as well. As I mentioned, so many runs uh, and so many accolades uh, from your time in the footy field as well. This is Inspiring Stories. John Maguire is our special guest. Back with more after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, my guest in this episode uh, is a premiership player with East Perth. Uh, he's also scored arguably more runs than anyone. Uh, in grade cricket uh, in Perth, and we'll clarify that in due time. Uh, John Maguire is my guest. John, um, as good as you were, it's probably not a surprise that you uh, were on the radar of, um, you know, some of the big schools uh, in Perth who wanted to offer you a scholarship to entice you down, and it was Guildford Grammar uh, that got you uh, in the gates there, and you were a boarder there through your teen years at Guildford, along with uh, your friend uh, from the wheat belt in Larry mm -hmm. Kicker. You were both. No, he's uh, not my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You yeah. had me just for a moment. Yeah. There. Yeah. I thought I would. <laughs> um, how did that come to be? And, and what was, what, what was the, the culture shock like going from family environment mm. uh, in Northern or Kilabaran to Guildford? Yeah. Look, um, it was a, a, an academic scholarship. Yep. Because I'd, uh, and, and, and I was inspired in terms of education yep. um, by my mother and, and, and father who didn't have the opportunity to go to school. Education wasn't an option. We mentioned that earlier. Yep. And so I thought, um, I've got this wonderful opportunity to be educated. Um, 
I need to do well in the classroom as well. Yep. Not just be able to play footy and cricket yep. um, uh, or throw a ball and kick a ball. I need to do things in the classroom. And I was driven because I, I didn't want to, for want of a better word, I didn't want to be, want to be called a dummy in the classroom with amongst my peers. Not that anyone ever suggested that or said that. Um, and so, and, and, and our mother, and uh, particularly our mother, uh, she would make sure that every afternoon we got home and well, in the evening after dinner the table was cleared and she'd say, who's got uh, homework to do? And we were made to sit at the table and do our homework and she checked it. Now, just the and, and, and the inspiration was from our mother in, and, and father in terms of education for all of our, our kids, yep. all of it, my brothers and sisters because she didn't go to school at all, never set foot in the classroom, but she could read and write. And so if I can take you back to uh, what, how that happened, my grandmother, uh, on uh, my mum's mum, she was born in Unorcia and was afforded uh, high school education right. through the Benedictine monks. Right. And... So she was educated, but her kids couldn't go to school, weren't allowed to go to school. There was at a moment when they were all living on the reserve in Northern and um, um, the policy of, uh, you know, taking the children and putting them into these homes and missions around the, the, the countryside was in place. Right. Um, and so the stolen generation's a very real thing. My grandfather and grandmother were living on the reserve because that's where Aboriginal people had to live. Um, and these trucks were rattling their way uh, up the Great Southern Highway through Brookton, Beverley and, and, and York, uh, coming from the uh, southeast through Corrigan and Quirrating and, and from, the, uh, from the east along the Great Eastern Highway. And already my grandfather's brother's sister's children from some of those towns had been taken. Right. And I, there were no phones in those days, obviously, but uh, the message got through that the Native Welfare Department were grabbing the kids and taking them. Yep. And my grandfather said, no one's taking my kids from me. Yep. So in the middle of the night, and he was fortunate enough to have some transport, horse and cart. Yeah, right. Middle of the night, piled everyone onto the horse and cart and just took off into the bush. Got them out. Got them out of, out of town. And, so um, how long did he have to uh, leave town? They, it's, it's not quite clear, but it must have been a long time. Like days, weeks, months? Oh, look, it would have been possibly years. Right. So he squatted on the, in the back paddock, uh, back, the bush in the, on, on a back uh, paddock of uh, a farmer's property in Northern or around the district. And one day after maybe a, a three or four days or a week, uh, the farmer wandering around checking fences and stuff, um, noticed smoke coming from a, a fire in the bush. Wandered over there and there's an Aboriginal family camping, squat, yep. squatting. Yep. Uh, his initial reaction was one of, well, you know, wasn't happy. What are you doing here? This is my farm. Um, you're trespassing. And a big offence in terms of Aboriginal people in those days. Um, and the fact that my grandfather had uh, got his kids out, away from the process that was, mm. you know, had to happen. Um, and my grandfather told him why. He said, I'm here because had I stayed in town, 
my children would have been taken from me. And there was an immediate empathy. Yeah. The farmer had children. He said, I wouldn't allow any of my kids to be taken. Mm. Um, all right, you're here. You may as well work for me. What a marvellous opportunity. Had he That's amazing. Gone, to per, uh, gone to Northern, got the, uh, the police were the protectors of Aboriginal people, but they enforced the laws of the policy at that time. Mm. Um, my grandfather would have been jailed and the children taken. That didn't happen because the farmer had this empathy and he then offered my grandfather a job. So while they were there, my, um, gran- my grandmother uh, was told by the, la- the farmer's wife, um, your kids need an education, you should send them to school with mine. And she knew that, you know, if they'd gone to school, she wouldn't see them again because they'd be taken. Yeah. Um, and she said, no, um, they won't go to school. Um, the lady then said, look, you can read and write, which she found out. She said, how about I get uh, correspondence lessons and you can teach your, your children. And that's exactly how it happened. That's amazing. Which is just an incredible story. And I can remember my grandmother, and she lived till she was well into her 90s, probably close to, to 100, and she was an avid reader, just read everything. Yeah. And a, a smarter woman you wouldn't meet. And indeed, my mother and father and uh, that our family were just incredibly... Uh, intelligent and smart, but that was the inspiration for us as their children to get an education because they'd missed out. That's incredible. Yeah, and, so, and I suppose so began a, a generational change. Very much so. In the family and 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 the really impactful statistic for the kids that were left on the reserve during that time: one hundred and twenty-three Aboriginal kids were taken the next day. 123. 123. Wow. Which was, you know, would have been my mother and her older brothers and sisters. Yeah. My life, completely different. Amazing. It, it, it probably doesn't serve you well to wonder what, what might have been. No, absolutely. Had those decisions not been made. Sure. And time. you see the impact yeah. of that stolen generation. Yep. And the Still kids had to endure that. So now. Yeah. 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 I, I sorry. I what was the what was the original question? <laughs> <laughs> These are the best answers, John. Where uh, I ask you something and you take me somewhere we, completely different. We've gone off on a, on another tangent. So I suppose that's the that's the backstory to uh, how you uh, became oh. to be it came to be dedicated to your studies and yeah. ended up yeah. So uh, at, the, at Guildford Grammar at the end of year seven, yeah, I got a scholarship yeah. that paid for all my education. Fantastic, which you know was a wonderful help for my parents. Yeah. There's a few kids to feed and clothe and... Uh, <laughs> There's and, one less and, for a while. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And and so uh, that then led to my uh, being offered a, a scholarship at Guildford Grammar School, yeah. which initially was the shock of my life because oh, I don't want to live... I'd never lived away from home before. Yeah. And um, the initial impact was uh, devastation of separation from family. Yeah. How did and, you... I mean, Year seven, going into year eight, you're yeah. what twelve years uh, old. That's 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 a big a, call. A little for bit it. older than that. I was. It was the end of '69 um, that okay. I went to Guildford, so it was a little bit later. Even but even still, so, yeah, um, it was that separation. Yeah, and so uh, um, it was a, an impact that I wasn't prepared for. Mm. 
um, and it, it lasted it, for about a week. So what was what was the impact? Just absolute desperate homesickness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and home was you know less than an hour <laughs> over the hill. Yeah, um, in Northern. So, uh, but after about a a week of crying into my pillow at night and uh, missing home terribly, um, cricket training started. Yeah, because it was the summer, and uh, we were Larry and Larry was. There, but we weren't allowed to live in the same. We weren't allowed to board in the same boarding houses. They separated uh, myself, Larry Kickett, and a fellow by the name of Rex Scarlett. Is that right? So, yeah. Which was uh, we thought, oh, geez, it'd be nice to. But you know what? It was probably the best in the end yeah. because it gave us independence. It forced not so much forced us, but it we created friendships within our our boarding house mm. and uh, connections that really endured and. Uh, Helped us through that, uh, or for the rest of our yeah. our time at Guildford. So, still shocking though. Oh you, yeah, when you describe it in that way. Yeah, a- absolutely. But considered, I suppose, normal. Yeah, at that yeah. time, that yeah. was the way it yeah. was. And you know, in the end, we look back on it now, and Larry would have the same, uh, uh, would would feel the same. I'm sure mm. it was the best experience of our lives. Yeah, because it gave us independence. It gave us. Uh, it forced us to 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 out of our comfort zones. Yeah. To actually make friends and to be part of this mm. this this uh, this this school community, yep. which was huge. I yep. mean, you know, there's seven. I think there was about seven eight hundred boys uh, boarding at that point, and then you had uh, two uh, day boy houses. Yeah. So, uh, but sport gave us this huge acceptance, mm. and we hear about the, the the boarding environment, particularly in those days, being. Brutal at times, mm. and you know, and traditions that made life pretty tough, particularly when you're in the younger year groups. Yeah. But yeah. Did, did did your sporting ability give you something of a of a, of a degree of immunity from that? Look, I think John, so. Were you left alone a bit. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We weren't subjected to these uh, these these, and you, we heard about it with the, the same sort of peer group that we had. That you know, when they were in year eight and. Uh, Year nine, this happened and that. Ooh, gee, um, but playing sport gave us a, a status within that yep. that that uh, that school community, and you know if you're playing first eleven cricket, that was a big deal. Mm. If you're playing first eighteen football, that was a big deal, and so our our sporting abilities and our inclusion in the representative teams of the school at that stage, the the, the first teams. Gave us the immunity to yep. to being subjected to these uh, uh, the, these traditions that were, yep. were part of it. Yep. E- even as a new kid coming, yeah. coming to the school. Yeah. Well, obviously your sporting abilities uh, flourished in that environment, John. Because uh, post school, you went on to, uh, as I say, play for for East Perth in a premiership winning side, and then go on to score a whole lot of runs uh, with the bat to on the cricket field. I'll get you to uh, go into that in a bit more detail right after we take a break. John Maguire is our guest in, in this episode of Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. John Maguire is our special guest. John, obviously, you you know, we've, we've spoken already about how gifted you were uh, on the cricket field, on the footy field, academically. What did you want to do when you got to the end of your schooling days? 
Look, I uh, had a, a, a met a couple of old boys yep. uh, who were wonderful blokes, and uh, one of them was a journalist, uh, Robbie Burns. Right. You remember Robbie, um, football writer, yeah. sports writer. Yep. And I thought, yeah, look, that would be fantastic. Um, I want to be a journalist. Um, and then a good call then, John. Well, <laughs> and I'm only saying because you're sitting in front of me, Tim. Um, no, not at all. That's I thought you know to be to go to the footy, and I never thought that I would be playing league football. Yeah. To go to the football and to write up you know a story about the match of the day or the match that I'm attending, uh, or to go to the Wacker and and, and uh, watch a Shield game and report on that uh, would be just the the best thing to do. Mm. Um, but then I thought about maybe a, a teacher and then when I uh, did my leaving and finished uh, school in 1972, uh, I thought I've had enough of study. Uh, all I wanted and, Fair enough. and at that stage Larry and I had been recruited by East Perth yep. and uh, that, was, that was our focus. That set you on another yeah. path. So yeah. we, we thought, okay, get a job in Perth and uh, and play footy and uh, play cricket. Um, wow. Yeah. You couldn't ask for anything Good better. Good times. Yeah. Good times. Absolutely. You mentioned Larry, mm-hmm. um, and I know you uh, played with the famous 25 uh, yes. on your back, East Perth, mm. once born, of course, by the, the great, oh. <laughs> the unmatchable Polly Farmer. Very much so. Um, what was it like carrying that burden on your shoulders, number 25 for East Perth? Oh, enormous thrill. To wear the number first off. Yeah. Um, and, and it was interesting because when I arrived at East Perth in, at the end in, in 1973, um, initially I wasn't going to, to play um, football in Perth. I thought I'd, I'd left school, got a job in Northern um, through my father and I thought I just want to earn some money and I'll play in the Avon Association and get a little bit more experience playing against, uh, you know, men, and uh, then go to East Perth because that's, yeah, I'm, 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 uh, I've been recruited by them. Brownie lobbed on my doorstep at home in Northern. <laughs> Again, the, <laughs> the ubiquitous the Malcolm Brown. <laughs> Mal Brown, yeah. And uh, uh, I, w- I was sick in bed. Tonsillitis. It was Wednesday. Remember it clearly. Yeah. Um, and uh, he knocked on the door, and my mum came into my room, and she said, "Malcolm Brown's at the front door." I said, "You better let him in then." <laughs> <laughs> Dad hadn't come home at that stage, and so Brownie came in, and uh, in his um, uh, uh, most uh, emphatic way, he said, uh, "Hello, Mrs. McGuire," and he was very respectful. Um, how are you? I'm looking for your son. And uh, she said, well, he's, uh, he's in bed uh, and he's been sick with, uh, with tonsillitis. Um, so I got out of bed and uh, came out and uh, uh, we were having a chat and uh, we were halfway through a conversation and Brownie turned to my mother and he said, um, Mrs. McGuire, do you want to put the kettle on? <laughs> <laughs> but that was Malcolm Brown. Yeah. And he said, look... Um, Dad came home and he said to – so we sat around the, the kitchen table and had a yarn and a cup of tea and uh, he said, look, uh, I want John to 
come to Perth and uh, obviously we've recruited him. I think he can fit into our team. We've lost yep. a few premiership players. And, and of course, Eastwood won the premiership, 70, mm. 72. This was 73 season. Superstar team. Yeah. And, you know, he, huge, huge for a, a kid to be rubbing shoulders with the best in the, in the, in the, in the competition at that point. Yeah. And uh, Brownie said, uh, we want you to come to Perth. I said, oh, look, I'll, I'll have a season in Northern. And uh, my dad said, no, I want him to go to Perth and play as well. So uh, Brownie said, okay, you, you're selected in, <laughs> in, the, in the Colts team. We're playing South Fremantle at Fremantle Oval. Um, you need to be there at 8 o'clock. My dad said, I'll have him there. So that's exact. So I got out of bed, went to the doctor, got some antibiotics, uh, got loaded up and felt much better on, on Saturday. Away we go. Just in time. Just in time. <laughs> Play the game, and uh, I start in the centre. Grant Dorrington and uh, Eddie Pitter are our coaches, um, and by halftime, I'm I'm knackered. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, I was naturally fit anyway. Yep. Uh, and you are at that age, um, but you know, uh, yeah, I, on I, the back I, of tonsillitis. I, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm done. Anyway, I, I they park me on the half forward flank, and I kick a couple of goals, and we win the game. Uh, the next week, boom, full training. Brownie's paying me to come to Perth to, to train on, on uh, Monday and Wednesday, as it was with Colts at that point. And um, so uh, the next week, we're playing Swans at Perth Oval. Um, I get the best on ground. And uh, the next week, I'm training with the reserves team. Mm. Subiaco at Subiaco Oval. And uh, I get best on ground again. And... The next week, um, a mate of mine, a fellow by the name of Wayne Warwick, who's still a, a great friend, his father had the local news agency in Northern. I'm still in Northern at this stage, travelling down to train. And um, um, he came around with the Daily News and Burnsy had done an article Yeah. Uh, and the, the headline was, Thrown to the Wolves. And... He, you know, this guy, Wayne Warwick, he said, uh, knocked on the door. He said, congratulations. I said, what for? He said, you're playing league footy. Wow. So. <laughs> announced two, in the paper. Announced in the paper. <laughs> two two Colts games, yeah. a reserves game, and I'm selected to play in the centre, West Perth, Leaderville Oval, Melwinnan. Wow. Huge. And I'm, How did you go? Um, I thought, I was a bit cocky. I thought, <laughs> I thought, I'm young, I can jump higher than him, I'm faster than him, and I'll probably get the footy more than him. It didn't happen. Melwin and gave me an absolute lesson, Did and it was really? probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, uh, he just carved me up, and where, and and in the end, Brownie just said, "Look, it's uh, at halftime," and normally he just absolutely rips shred, uh, shreds off uh, off off people mm. players. Um, but at halftime, he just said, look, just run with Mel Winnan and yep. he'll take you to the footy. And if you can halve the contest, then, you know, that's a good thing. Learn from it, which was great. Yep. I did. Yep. The next time we played uh, West Perth, I was best on ground, which was a, a, a round later. There you go. You're so, a fast learner. Oh, well, you know, I had to. You had yeah. to. You had but to. Can I tell you how I got to East Perth in the uh, – how I got to come to Perth in the first place and, and to – in terms of accommodation, was amazing. So uh, 
end of 72, end of our, our, our um, year 12 and end of school, um, we're pl- I, I've been selected in the under-19s uh, state schoolboys. And, of course, the team includes Graham Wood and uh, Kevin Bryant, David Boyd, uh, Ward Scarf, uh, Graham Porter. You know, we had a really, really good uh, good team. Mm. We win the national championships. Yep. Um, on the – we have a celebration and uh, we're having a chat and I'm having a chat to this guy, Kevin Bryant, who is, you know, like a brother to me right now, uh, will always be. But he said uh, – he said, oh, look, now that uh, we've finished school, what are you going to do? I said, oh, look, I've been recruited by East Perth and uh, going to want to play a bit of footy and a bit of cricket. Um, and he said, where are you going to stay? I said, oh, look, hopefully East Perth will organise that. Um, and, and they did for country recruits, you know, house, three or four guys. Um, and Kevin said, no, 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 come and stay with us. We've got a, a spare room. Yeah. I said, who's us? He said, well, my mum and dad. I said, oh, you better check with them. <laughs> you better check with them first. No mobile phones in those days, of course. Yeah. So uh, we arrived back in Perth after the celebrations of winning um, and he drags me across uh, in the arrival and he introduces to introduces me to his mother and father, and he said, "Look, Denise has just moved out." He said, "We've got a spare room. John's been recruited by East Perth, and he wants to play footy, and he needs to come to Perth, and he will get a job. Um, he needs some accommodation. He can stay with us, can't he?" And they went, "Yeah, sure. yeah, okay, <laughs> just like that." Yeah, and it was going to be like just a short time until East Perth organised something, or I'd organised something. They said, you can stay as long as you like. Six years later, I'm still there. <laughs> Six years later. The best people on earth. Yeah. Beautiful. Magnificent. Absolutely. So yeah. that gave me a, just a, a, you know, a, a very comfortable yeah. environment to be in. They were beautiful people. Um, and uh, like I say, Kevin is, uh, is he's, we call each other brother. Yeah. Right? We yeah. were enormously close. Yeah. So that's... That's a little bit of a backstory, but uh, you know we mm. uh, getting to East Perth uh, yep. and and Brownie instigating that sort of move from country yep. to to city was yep. uh, was pivotal. Just before we get to another break, I want to talk about the inspirational figures in your life, and you, mm. you've already mentioned a few who I'm sure are in that category. Um, but in terms of um, the people who inspired you on a sporting level, uh, and segueing from footy into cricket now. Sid Jackson was someone that you idolised. Absolutely. Um, and what a champion. Still do. East yep. Perth champion, Carlson, mm. dual premiership winner, legend. Um, someone who, I suppose, made you believe that you could also do that mm. in a sporting sense. It, it's, it's, it's kind of sad that the, the person you looked up to on the cricket field was a West Indian cricketer. Clive yes. Lloyd was the man. Absolutely. You. Um, you didn't have that same, I suppose, a person who was just a little bit older than you that you could look to and say, I can do that and I can do it here in, in Perth. Because mm. as the the record books will show, we don't have a great history of Aboriginal cricketers at the highest level, do we? It's, no, it's, no. it's terrible. Uh, look, I think it's, a, uh, it's an indictment. Yeah. Uh, because there are so many good, well, talented sportsmen and women out there, cricketers particularly, who can play the game, but yep. they don't. Yep. Because simply because of that, you know, yeah. it's the old adage, you know, you can't be what you can't yep. see. Yeah. And so the 
the, the Sid Jacksons of the cricket field aren't there. No. You know, for me, Clive Lloyd was uh, was, was my inspiration. Yeah. I thought, I, I didn't know black guys played cricket. Mm. Um, but I saw the last session of a West Indies versus WA uh, team at the Wacker, at the Wacker. And uh, it was on the ABC in those days, the last session. Mm. And I went, wow, this black guy's playing cricket. And then the great Clive <laughs> Pretty Lloyd, handy too. <laughs> they, they could play. Being a left-hander as well, well John, I was, can see why you, know, was, you gravitated towards absolutely him. Absolutely. Left-handed. Um, in the end, I grew my hair like this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and, and, and uh, he wore glasses. And I thought, boom. He's the man. He's absolutely. Yeah. And he was a sensational player. He's he the was. first slipper yep. as well. Um, and, and so that was my inspiration on, on the, the cricket field. Yeah. But uh, Sid, of course, um, we would come down from Calabaran and watch, invariably watch East Perth, Perth mm. games because they were the best games. Yeah. And they were the top teams in the mid-60s. And Sid was just doing uh, sensational things on yep. the footy field. Yeah. And I thought that's where that's what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, we need to take another break, John, but uh, your cricketing prowess is what we'll talk about right after that. Um, as we mentioned, uh, over 10,000 runs uh, in grade cricket in Perth, which puts you uh, at number two on the list of all-time run scorers. And uh, unfortunately, uh, never got the call up to represent your state. And I'll get you to explain uh, your thoughts on why that was right after we take a break. Inspiring Stories is the program. John Maguire is our guest. Back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. John Maguire is our special guest. I want to start with uh, a, a telling statistic, which I'll get you to uh, to, to take um uh, the story forward from in a moment, uh, John. But uh, uh, back when you were playing grade cricket here, uh, you became the 24th player uh, to reach the milestone of 7,000 grade runs. Uh, you went on, as I mentioned earlier, to score over 10,000. Uh, of those 24 or 25, including you, you were the only person in the 7,000-plus category to not get the call-up to represent your state. Mm. Why was that? It could only point to one thing. And, and you know, people say, oh, you know, don't play the race card or whatever. But it's uh, the, the – in, 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 in football, there's players that play your position who might be better or they have a better season um, and it's, 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 it's a lot more fluid. In cricket, it's about statistics. Mm. And – that is a compelling statistic alone. So I'm one of 25, 7,000 runs, and only one of those 25 hasn't played shield cricket. John Maguire. Mm. Yeah. It tells me that there's still this exclusion and uh, in, in a sport where Aboriginal people played first and foremost, before any of the uh, football codes. Mm. So cricket, first team to tour England, 1868, Aboriginal team, all Aboriginal team from Western Victoria. Uh, We replicate that. We retrace the steps of that team in 1988 and I captained that team to England. Um, And then 
uh, we had a, a team right here in, in, in WA, New Norcia, and my great-grandfather was part of that team called the Invincibles, even before Don Bradman's Invincibles. Yeah. And they would walk from New Norcia to play cricket at the Wacker and Guildford and, and Fremantle. Walk? Walk. It's a hell of a warm-up. Um, wow. <laughs> How long did that take them? Uh, they look. They were just about <laughs> spending all of their time walking along the road to, to and from yeah. Perth to play these games. And I, I think it was wasn't every weekend. Yeah, obviously it couldn't be. So maybe once a month. And and then the the colony grew. Uh, the competition became more of a, a whacker competition. And because they had numbers and teams, yeah. the New Norsian team was said, "Oh, we don't need you anymore." And they left. So, but uh, certainly, mm. getting back to um, my stuff, uh, there was absolutely an yeah. exclusion, and it started then. Yeah, you got close in the mid eighties. You were uh, invited to participate in a trial mm-hmm. game, a state trial game. Yeah, um, you were batting beautifully, and then you were. Tapped on the shoulder, if I can put it that way. Yeah. And, and it was suggested to you that you should retire, that you'd done enough. Yes. Um, can you give us your version of, of events from Absolutely. that day? So there's, uh, there's the, the, um, uh, the state squad that's been selected um, where we've got a state trial match before the uh, pennant season started and even before the pennant season Started where there was a uh, WA were playing uh, South Australia in an early Shield game, and so uh, we had this uh, trial match, uh, practice trial match, if you like, at uh, McGilvray Oval, and we were told, grouped together, the state selectors, uh, we were told that we would be selected in a train on group to train on the Monday. It was a long weekend. Mm. And uh, you would be selected on performance. No problem. Um, I opened the ba- batting with Woody. Yep. Uh, and the opening attack for the other team is Chris, uh, Chris Matthews. Yep. Bruce Reed. Reasonable players. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a test it's level a test, squad absolutely. that you're playing there. Yeah. First, first change, yeah. Ken McClay. Yeah. And then Tom Hogan yeah. uh, as an off spinner. So... A test, a test attack, all played for Australia. Yeah. Um, Woody got out. Um, I'm not sure how many runs. Um, at the end, at, at the the drinks break, so an hour. I'm 50, and I remember it like yesterday. I'm yeah. 57, not out. Yeah. And I'm hitting the ball in the zone. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I'm I'm really comfortable and uh, playing shots and all of that. Uh, we have a drink and uh, the state selectors came up and he said, oh, John, um, uh, we'll, we're asking you to retire. Um, we've, we've seen enough. So it wasn't even a, a hint. It was a, a directive. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I wasn't given an option. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I went, oh, bugger. Um, be nice to, yeah. to stay there and, and get a few more. But then I thought, okay, they've seen enough. I'm hitting the ball well enough. Um I'm going to be good for this mm. train-on squad. Um, we play out the game for the rest of the game, the rest of that day, second day, Sunday, uh, and at the end of play, showered, getting dressed. Um, thanks, guys. Uh, good to see you. Catch you at tra- uh, state training at the Wacker on Wednesday. And uh, Peter Clough, you know, he said, no, 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 see you tomorrow. I said, 
why, what's happening tomorrow? I'd forgotten about this train-on squad. He said, um, haven't you been asked to uh, to join this train-on squad? I said, well, aren't they going to announce it in a moment, maybe? Mm. He said, no, no, they've told players individually. <laughs> haven't you been asked? I said, no. And then I realised, or then I thought, that's why they asked me to retire Yep, when they did. Because, look, I could have been out the very next ball, but I was hitting the ball well enough to get a, a reasonable score, I reckon. And if you'd made a ton, it would have made you um, uh, just it, it, unable to be not included. Not, absolutely. Yeah. You, you couldn't yeah. ignore what I'd done uh, if I'd gone on and got a big mm. score, but it was nipped in the bud mm. and... Uh, when I look back on it now, right then when Cluffy said, see you tomorrow, no, I'm, what's happening? Uh, oh, no, I haven't been asked yet. You couldn't then, have done much more at that point. No. no. Then I thought that's why the, uh, the, uh, why I was uh, asked to retire. Mm. Mm. Uh, to this day, the only person with Aboriginal heritage to have played test cricket for Australia is Jason Gillespie. When you can you contrast that to footy, mm. you know, oh. Indigenous players have been lighting up footy fields for decades. Absolutely. It's it's kind of shocking, isn't it? Look, I think it's, and I mentioned the uh, mentioned earlier, I think it's an absolute indictment that there is this exclusion. You know, we're talking about exclusion for every aspect of Aboriginal people's lives in the, in, in the early part of uh, the 19th, the 20th century. And what happened in terms of the 1905 policy where we weren't allowed on the streets, all of those things. Um, but when we talk about exclusion in this day and age, it's not acceptable. And when we see this stuff going on, um, it just makes me not angry, um, enormously disappointed. Yep. Uh, and I think... Um, you know, I, I've I've actually said, and I'll say it here on uh, with you, Tim. Um, I've said cricket in Australia, and particularly cricket here in Western Australia, is the most racist sport in the world. Wow, that's a big call. Absolutely, but yeah. statistics tell us a little bit, don't they? Mm. And 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 I I make no apologies for that statement. Yeah. Well, you were compelled to ask uh, the Wacker, I'm presuming it was the Wacker that you asked, to remove your name from a, a prominent trophy that's given out every year yes. uh, in cricket here in, in, in WA. So obviously anger was a part of that motivation, John, I'm guessing. Look, it, it was a, a bit of bit of anger, yep. um, but I, I thought about uh, the uh, my decision Mm. before I actually made the decision or told told the whacker what I wanted to do. Um, and my mind was made up when I actually presented the first year that my name was, uh, it was the John Maguire Shield under 15 um, district competition. Uh, and I attended the, uh, the, the function here, the presentations at the, at Optus, 450 people in, or kids in the room, um, families. I mean, they were right across uh, some of those age groups. Um, and 
I know most Aboriginal people in WA and particularly in Perth, not one Aboriginal family or player in the room. And I thought, I don't want my name attached to this if they're not going to be inclusive. Mm. And so I just said, they said, oh, you know, it's a great... Um, they tried to talk me out of it. It's a great uh, opportunity. It's recognition for, for your contribution to the sport. I said, no, no, no. I don't want the recognition now. I wanted it when I played. Yeah. And that wasn't afforded me, um, and I don't want to be part of it. You've been waiting a long time for that. <laughs> John, outside of, uh, of of sports, you've been also uh, really instrumental in um, – in building relationships uh, in the in the resources sector mm. as well, um, what's what's the struggle and the and the and the challenge been like there compared to sport? Look, it's it, it's it's more inclusive. Yep. Um, and look, mining com- mining companies have an obligation. You you know you're mining on traditional lands, uh, and so with traditional people, there's there's obligations of mining companies to include employment, training, uh, economic development and uh, a whole range of other things, but also the, the, the policies and, and, and government um, legislation uh, implies that you have to do this. Mm. And so it's much more inclusive. There's still a hell of a lot we, can, we need to do as a, as, a, as, a mine, as a resource industry, but... We can do that individually with the mining companies and the uh, the locations that we operate yep. uh, in, and and so I've been involved in community relations, Aboriginal engagement, for the last fifteen, eighteen years, yep. and yep. it's been a wonderful experience, mm. and the acceptance and 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 inclusion, but also the obligation that mining companies have. Uh, plus the policies that uh, that 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 make them address these things uh, is is accepted. Yeah. Sure. We have the the Jugend Gorge and the you know the Rio Tinto stuff and the BHP stuff, and that's going to happen from time to time. But that hopefully won't happen again due to the uh, uh, the re- restructure of the policy that uh, is is about um, accessing these sites of significance. Yeah. But. Um, you know, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I'm involved in a number of uh, uh, committees and uh, a- a- at the local level uh, with other Aboriginal people like uh, my brother, Oral, um, Richard Wally, Barry Winmer, Barry Maguire, um, and some really prominent men and women, and I've mentioned just men there, but there's a lot of prominent women involved in, in these decisions and in this these these uh, committees that are going to impact and make a, a much more of a, uh, a difference for mm. Aboriginal people, particularly the Wajamup or the Rottnest Island yep. um, program of repatriation of uh, some of the people who've uh, were, were died out there. Yeah. We've spoken about the, uh, the, the generations that have come before you. Um, the incredible contributions they've made to the Maguire family and the, the area uh, that you lived in uh, yes. over many, many years. Um, but I know you're also very proud of the, the generations that have come after you as well. So, John, just finally, um, you know, as a, as a dad, um, tell us about your kids and what they've been able to do. Yeah, look, they're rat bags. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Right. <laughs> we'll leave it there. <laughs> no, look... Uh, uh, I'm enormously pr- 
proud of uh, my son Stephen and uh, and our daughter Jade. Um, both had uh, um, private school education, Trinity College for Steve and um, Perth College for Jade. Her mother, uh, Karen, my wife, uh, went to Perth College, so it was a, there was a connection there. Obviously, Guildford was mine, but uh, and I would have loved to have sent Stephen da- uh, out to Guildford, but it was just too far away from where we were living, and we live in Bull Creek. Um, so, uh, but but again, I I must also um, pay enormous um, compliment to my wife Karen, who, being in mining and uh, fly in fly out shouldered a lot of uh, the responsibility of getting them to school, um, football training, netball training and uh, all of those things mm. uh, while I was away. I was home for most weekends, so I got to see them play, which was uh, fabulous. But, uh, look, um, they've turned out to be just wonderful kids and they've contributed enormously to yep. the community in, in their sport and in, in their careers. Yeah. Fantastic. And I know uh, Ben, your nephew as well, yes. just to expand the, the, the family tree a little bit more, yeah. uh, has taken on the famous 25 at East Perth as well that you wore, uh, that mm. Polly Farmer wore as well. Again, oh, look, no pressure on him. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, he's got to win a flag. Um, so there's a little bit of pressure. But no, look, uh, I think, and, and Ben handles that uh, responsibility wonderfully well because he's quite a uh, an extroverted character and he's got confidence and he's you know he's able to uh, be involved in a number of programs but if i can say that you know jade coordinates the uh, the shooting stars seven sisters program for wa netball uh, across the state about to head into south australia to to do do the same program there, but uh, and and Stephen's involved in corporate banking in uh, the ANZ Bank, and he's uh, the associate director of his team. So, you know, they both went to uni and uh, did fantastically well. Uh, so, yeah, as a father, I'm enormously proud, and I hope that my my mother and father were proud of what I'd achieved. I'm sure they're immensely proud. Yeah. John, thank you so much uh, for coming in and sharing some of your many, many stories uh, on this episode of Inspiring Stories. We, we can talk it. for we can talk I for know days we can. on this, mate. But uh, no, look, I, can I say, <laughs> <laughs> Un- unlike Bill Dempsey, who said no, I've done enough, enough. But no, thanks, Tim, for the opportunity and uh, uh, the phone call was uh, wonderfully received. And I thought, uh, what a marvelous opportunity to come in and have a yarn. And uh, thank you for uh, being so frank Appreciate and uh, talking about uh, some of the things that uh, has happened in my life. Yeah. And there's we could be here all day. Hopefully there's a bit more to go. Absolutely. Good on you. Thanks again, John. Appreciate pleasure. it. Absolute pleasure. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.